0: So, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, Christmas, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I love everything that Christmas brings to the table, uh, but, but in our house there's now become this civil war uh, where me and Barrick are divided against uh, Misty and the girls um, because they want to move from Halloween to Christmas much faster uh, than I am ready to do, and, uh, and it's gotten rough uh, like I've never cried before because of a six-year-old, but she's brought me to the brink. And um, but but I I love Thanksgiving, and it's not it's not the you know pilgrims and the Indians, and it's not even really the family to be honest with you. Uh, even though I enjoy that, I enjoy the food, and uh, I enjoy second Thanksgiving and third Thanksgiving and. Uh, today for Thanksgiving that we'll have. Um, but but I, I love Thanksgiving because as a believer, it draws me to my Father. It draws me right to the heart of God because He comes in and He says, I want you to remember that you have things in your life to be thankful for. And And I get that Thanksgiving technically is, I guess, considered a secular holiday but but to me it is a gospel-centered holiday because it's these times in my life where I get to come in and I get to count my blessings. And what I'm aware of more and more the older I get is just how many blessings there are to count. That that I get to give thanks that God has us has our family on this incredible adventure of fostering. I get to give thanks that that I have a wife who, who loves me. Uh I don't I don't understand that part. I just I get to give thanks for that. I get to give thanks for for health, but as as I was sharing a couple of weeks ago, I I'm really confused now about what's the best case scenarios when it comes to Well, I'm healthy, alright. Now what What am I going to do with that health when it comes to what God is allowing me to do with my life? And so, I love this time of year and and, and I think I fight so hard to defend it in my house because I want my family to be a people of thanksgiving. That we would... Think about what God has allowed us to have in our lives. That He thinks, that we think about the opportunities. That we think about the fact that we get to speak to God and we get to say thank you for that. Because that's that's a word we we throw around frivolously, right? Somebody opens a door and we say thanks, right? Have you ever held the door open and nobody says thanks to you? Right? You're like, well, I'm owed a thanks. Thank you very much. So we come to this place in 1 Thessalonians 5. And it's coming toward the end of it. And, and uh, Paul is about to wrap up some thoughts as he writes to the people of Thessalonica. And we don't have time to go through the entire chapter, but there there's four verses... I wanted to draw our attention to today as we celebrate what we consider our Thanksgiving gathering. He comes in and he says this, and we urge you, brothers. Okay, so he's talking, he's talking to the church people. And he's going to give us some instructions. And at first you won't understand why Thanksgiving is important here, but it is. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. So what does that mean, right? What does admonishing the idol mean? It means this, that there are those of us in this room, in this community of gospel believers that are idle. They're dormant in their faith. They claim a belief, but yet they don't, Live out the gospel as urgently, as importantly as they should. And so Paul comes in and he says, "Listen, I want you to admonish them." Now we we have a a different, we can have different opinions about what that word means. There are times when the church says admonishing, which really just what they mean is let's just whip them, let's just beat them up, let's make them feel so guilt ridden that we can adjust change. And now let's just be honest. What motivates a person towards change the most? Have have you ever once convinced your kids that you were right by yelling at them? No. So it says admonish it means that you would encourage strongly. That you would understand that sometimes the most important words you can share in a person's life are the hard words to hear. And so he says, know each other well enough that when they're lacking, when they're asleep spiritually, that you encourage them to get out of that slumber. So he comes in and he says, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. So, so we believe here at Merge, that we would be going on adventures of the God's size. Right? We, we say that, and it's, I think it's a helpful way of understanding, okay, the adventures of my life should point or draw me to the Father more than adventures that draw me away from Him. And so he comes in and he says, he says to, um, to encourage the faint-hearted, which means to give courage to those who are scared to walk in the light of the gospel. That this would be the kind of a community where we challenge one another on. Where we're challenging one another and said, hey, God has something out there for us. Let's go get it together. It says, help the weak. I, I don't know a better place for weak people than the church. I don't. Because I think it's so important that we would understand our great need for one another. And our inability to be completely strong in all areas of our lives. So he comes in and he says, he says just uh, help the weak. And then, then he comes in and he says, be patient with them all. Okay? And I love that. I've been trying to chew on that this week. Why would he say be patient with them all? Because we know that the the people who are in slumber, we know the people who are afraid, we know the people who are weak, they at times can be annoying to you. So he comes in and he says be patient. Be aware that you need them as much as they need you. Because again, he's talking to the church. Then he says, see that in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Right? let me say that again. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And I love that challenge because he says, listen, don't return evil for evil. Because what he does there is, he goes right into our, well, it's only fair that because they did this, I get to do this. And Paul says, don't. You know, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, I don't care, it doesn't make sense, don't do it. That when in doubt, should I do the evil thing or the good thing? Paul says, do the good thing. Do the good thing. And I love the way he ends that verse. He says, seek to do good. To one another, and then he says, "And to everyone." So he creates this distinction. He says there there are ways you treat the church people differently than you do the outside world, and I'm just telling you, no matter who you come across, you seek to do good to them. You don't go to battle. And then he gets on a roll, and I think he's I think he's begins. To allow his love for God to spill out on some pages. And he says these words Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Like there's not a moment that you shouldn't be able to rejoice. Pray without ceasing, let your conversations with God be continuous. Right Now, if, if you say, hey God, um, I, it's me again, early morning, just wanting to pray, amen, and that's the last time you spoke with God, you're not walking in the fullness of your relationship with Him. He says you pray without ceasing. Then we get to today. He says, give thanks, but only in the circumstances when life is good and easy. No? It says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. And then, then he says this, I love it. He goes, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we come to the end of that and we ask ourselves this question, okay, how, how is it possible that I can rejoice always? How is it possible that I can pray without ceasing? How is it possible that I can give thanks in all circumstances? And I think that's a great question. Now, I, I, and I don't think you should take the Bible and say, well, okay, I, I should submit to it, but I shouldn't be allowed to question it. Because I think some of the greatest questions you ask in the Bible lead you into the strongest faith you'll ever have. And so, so when Paul says, hey, rejoice and pray and give thanks in all circumstances, we ask, well, how is that possible? And the next line is the answer. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So, so how can I rejoice always? Jesus. How can I pray continuously, Jesus, how can I give thanks in all circumstances? It's Jesus. That you would look at what Christ has made possible for you and you would just say, nothing else that I deal with it compares to that. So I can rejoice in these very happy moments in my life, and I can rejoice in these really painful ones. I can pray continuously because Christ serves as my mediator. He goes to the Father on my behalf. That's why we we pray our Father, and that's why we end in Jesus' name. Because when we pray in His name, powerful things can happen. And that's why today... We can give thanks regardless of the circumstance. Because we serve a God who is after His glory. And He will not share it with another. So we can give thanks. If for any other reason, and I think this is what Paul is drawing us to, you can give thanks if for any other reason than Christ died for you. That He died to rescue you. That out of God's great love, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And so this is what we gathered together to do today. We, we do these about three times a year, all family communion services. And every time, what it is, it's a reminder for us to make sure that we're coming back, especially in these seasons, and to remember what Christ has done for us. That we would realize that apart from our own abilities, we are hopeless. I'm sorry, that left to our own abilities, we are hopeless. That God cares for you and He cares for me in Jesus. So the way... We celebrate that as we return to a scene we find in, in the Gospels. It's called the Last Supper. And Jesus is sitting with His disciples and, and He breaks some bread and He says, Hey, this bread it's a symbol of my body. It's being broken for you. And he says, Take and eat. And then we, He takes some, some wine. We have juice, so parents just calm down. And he says, this is, this is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood being poured out for you. And that takes us back to an Old Testament ritual about the cleansing of sin couldn't happen without the spilling of blood. And it draws us to the cross that as His side is pierced and blood starts to flow, we can be cleansed of our sins. And now let me tell you why that's important. Because if you're, not in, if you're not found in Christ, there are two major things you're dealing with in your life. Number one, when you die, you will spend eternity separated from God. And number two, while you're alive here, right now, in this moment, you will never find peace. You will never find contentment. You will never have joy in the sense that God offers it. You will spend the, rest of the remaining part of your days apart from Christ searching for those things. And yet you will never find them. And so what God does is He says, Listen, as I rescue you for tomorrow, I want to rescue you for today. And we believe, as we read the Bible, that it says, by faith alone are we saved. And so we pray prayers. We ask Jesus to come into our heart. We ask Him to be two simple things. To be our Savior, which is what we need, and to be our Lord, which is also what we need. And so communion is, is very much a, a believer-driven Um, exercise. And I'd encourage you today, if, if you don't know Christ, you're welcome to grab the juice, you're welcome to grab the bread. But it's an empty, symbolic gesture. But if today is the day that you would like to give up, we want to walk with you through that. As we... We're going to transition here in just a second. I'm going to give everybody some homework. But during that time, if, if you need prayer, we talked about this last week, how important that is in the body. If you need prayer, uh, Mark and Keith and Kim and uh, Kelly, they're going to be over here to this side. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, I, I don't know what that looks like. I think one of the greatest invitations we find in all of the Bible is when Jesus is looking for His guys, not looking for it, He goes and seeks His guys out and He just says two words to them, follow me. We want to invite you into that, but maybe it's time for you to take that next step. So if that's something you need today, we want to give you that. Now for everybody else, here's the way this is going to work. I'd like for you to spend some time with your family, if, if they're close to you. And I'd like you just to take a few minutes to talk about some Thanksgiving things. Some things you are thankful for. And if, I, I'd like to encourage you to stay away from things like I'm thankful that my sports team won this weekend. I'm thankful that somebody took up the trash. But you would say, okay, God, what, what am I thankful for? And now if you're anything like me in this moment, you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Right? You're like, that's going to that's gonna sound weird. What, what are they going to think about me? And let me tell you this. Some of you husbands, some of your dads, your wife and your kids need to hear you talk about how much you love Jesus. They do. And you say, well, I do. I do love Jesus. They need to hear you say that. They need to see you model that. Wives and mothers, your kids and your spouse needs to know how much you love Jesus. So these moments, though they can be awkward for a moment, they really shouldn't be. They should be part of our, if we are a gospel-centered family, they should be part of our conversations that we have. Kids, your parents need to know if you love Jesus or not. Because it affects how they model, how they love, how they treat you, what they pray for you about, pray about for you. Now, if you don't, your family's not here. Say you're kind of solo today. Um, I'd encourage you to spend some time with God, or just go find somebody else that's solo. Say, "Hey, my name's so and so. Why are you laughing it's at good. that? Is it good? It's tough to do. It's good. I'm, let's do tough stuff today. All right, All right. laughing at me during this moment—it's very serious." <laughs> After you take just a few moments to do that, on both of these tables we have communion elements for you. And what we'll do is you'll just take a a small piece of the bread and you'll grab a juice cup. uh, And and I don't think it's going to spill, but just be be mindful of that. Um, And then just take it back to your seat. We'll end up partaking together. Uh, Once we're wrapping up toward the end, Swan will lead us in a song and then I'll come. We'll we'll partake together and then we'll we'll move along. I love you guys. I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for what, what God is allowing us to do here in this city. What He is doing amongst us. Let me pray for us and then you can transition. Father. We are thankful today because You are good. We are thankful today because You are merciful. We are thankful today that that though we don't deserve Your love, You give it to us. And I pray that we would make much of Jesus this morning. That we would understand the price that He has paid for us so that we can walk in the life that He's offering to us. Father, I pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit in all seriousness, Father, I pray for the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would embolden us here in these next few moments to talk about how thankful we are for all that You have done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said before, communion is a moment where we come back and we remember the price that Christ has paid for us. There's two aspects. There's the bread that symbolizes the body. Then there's the wine that symbolizes the blood. If you have time this week, I would encourage you to go just spend some moments at the end of the Gospels as you get from the Last Supper and you go all the way through to The end where you find the resurrection. Because it reminds us, it takes us, draws us back to an act that we will never graduate from. The death and the resurrection of Christ is always, always, always the greatest moment in the life of a believer. Always, bar none. And there are a lot of great things that have gone on in my life and there's never been one that compares to that. Because it's in that moment that I who deserve nothing, nothing, I get to find everything. And so we stop here today, we slow down, and we remember. Father, Father, We thank You for what this bread means to us. We thank You and we confess that every lash, every punch, every scrape, all the nails that Christ took on Himself, He did not deserve, but we did. We thank you that he is our sacrifice. We stop, we remember, and we say thanks. You may partake the bread. Father, we thank you for what this juice represents for us. we thank You and we confess that we are not worthy of the sacrifice of Your Son. We are so thankful for it. And I pray as we stop and we remember that, that we would understand how urgent and how caring and how loving this Gospel message is. That it wouldn't just be part of our lives today, this morning, but this would be everything to us. That all of our celebrations would find themselves at the feet of our Savior. That all of our longings would, would find themselves at the feet of our Savior, that, that, that all of our struggles would find themselves at the feet of Jesus, that we would live victoriously because He is victorious. So we stop today. We slow down. We remember. We say thanks. You may partake.